0: weekend. What amazes me, one of the many things, is that you have three different worship teams for every service, and they're all fantastic. That's pretty amazing. It really is. It really illustrates what Mike said about, Pastor Mike, about uh, providing ways to serve. Uh, multiple ways to serve in your church. I learned to preach, by the way, in a nursing home. That's, that's where no one would let me preach, you know, And, and to, literally. And so we went to a nursing home. And I loved doing that ministry for about three years before I finally had a church call me. And the church that called me had 10 people. That was my first pastorate. So anyway, it is a joy to be with you. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. And I'm going to begin by just reading the very last verse of chapter 16. It's really the focal verse for this message. John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus is speaking and he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You may be seated. Before I launch into the meaning of that verse and expound on that, let me just tell you a little bit about the Northwest Baptist Convention of which you are part. Uh, I was a pastor for many, many years, grew up in Whitefish, Montana. Eight years ago, this month actually became the executive director. And one of the things you may not know, we have about 500 churches. Prior to COVID, we had 508. So we'll see where we are now. It'll be close to 500. It's been a hard year. But you know, when churches survive a year like COVID, (laughs) that's pretty amazing. And you have done more than survive. In fact, our churches in general have. It's been quite remarkable. One of the things we've learned about you, by the way, is that you you are a biblical steward. You love the Lord and you continue to support your church even when your church couldn't do everything you used to do. And you're not just a religious consumer in other words. And so you have sustained the missionary efforts of the Northwest and you have sustained the ministry of your church. So I just want to thank you for that. It's been quite remarkable. But one of the things, we, we, so we have about 500 churches in Oregon, Washington, and North Idaho. Something you may not know, our churches are very linguistically diverse. Uh, English is the primary language, but about a third of our churches worship in a language other than English. Does anyone want to guess what is the second most common language among our churches? Spanish Spanish is a great guess. It's not right, but it's (laughs) close. It's very, very close. You'd probably be right in about two or three years. Uh, Actually, the second most common currently is Korean we have 41 Korean language churches. It's amazing. Not in Longview but a bunch in Tacoma, Seattle area and that and and, uh, Spokane and uh, Portland area. We have Korean, a lot of Korean. And then third is is, uh, Spanish, about 30 Spanish languages. We had three Spanish churches start on Easter Sunday with one pastor. By the way, he's preaching in Pasco, and then he goes to uh, Pullman, uh, Washington, and then he goes to Yakima. He does three services in one day, and he's, doing a fa- he's just a fantastic person. So, and then after Spanish, it's Russian. 19 Russian language churches, and uh, the Russian people, uh, actually, it's a former Soviet Union. Okay, so it's Ukrainians, Russians, people from uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, all of those places that were the Soviet Union, but they can all speak Russian pretty much. And so they worship together. They're very durable. We were in a, I've been in two Russian churches just in the last two or three months. And the last one was in Tacoma in March. And I asked the pastor, I said, how many of your people came to the United States for religious freedom? He said, 90%. 90% that's why they're here. They are a faithful hard-working people and grateful to have them as part of our work. The next after Russian is is Vietnamese. We have about a dozen Vietnamese churches and we have Japanese and we have a, one Mongolian church now and Mandarin Chinese, Cantonese, Burmese, three different Burmese languages. Lots of different uh, backgrounds. By the way the way we can do that is because of you. See partnering together you have missionary boots on the ground. Your former pastor Lance Cadell is one of those and these guys help get churches started in all these different language groups. One of our staff, by the way, he speaks four languages. He's an Anglo guy like me, but he was a missionary in North Africa. He speaks Arabic fluently. He speaks French, Spanish, and English. Okay, that's the kind of capability that we have that enables us to start churches among all these different groups. So anyway, I just want to thank you for that. Your current pastor, your great current pastor, Pastor Mike, leads uh, part of our work to to help other pastors grow in their leadership. So Mike leads one of those pastor clusters. So there's a lot of different things we do together, and your church is a big part of that. By the way, East Asia, some in your church have been to East Asia. On our East, I saw Vinny up here playing the drums. Vinny's one of those. And uh, been to East Asia. We have a lot of missionaries, hundreds in East Asia, and we have had huge retreats for them overseas. A lot of our churches have been there. Your church is one of those who's been there. So we still have the East Asia partnership going on. Pray for those people. However, the big country in East Asia used to be our biggest nation in the world in terms of number of missionaries. We now have zero. The persecution has been so great they have essentially no one can serve there. They won't let an American serve there who's like us. So anyway, pray for them. But those missionaries, by the way, those people are all over the world, those East Asian people, and so we have missionaries in Europe and South America, actually one couple in in Seattle right now, Africa who speak Chinese. And so those missionaries are now reaching Chinese people all over the world. So a lot going on that you're a part of. And so I want to thank you for that. You know, one of the most encouraging things in Scripture or in the biography of just about anybody God has used is how a person can go through a trouble, a trial, a tribulation. And God can enable them to persevere and push through and actually grow thereby and often do their greatest work for God beyond that trial and that tribulation. My favorite book that I read last year is this book called Not Forgotten. This is a book written by one of our pastors. He's in North Carolina. And his parents were missionaries. His brother was a missionary. His brother leads all of our overseas mission work right now. John Brady is a friend of mine. This is David Brady. If you like to read, if you like missionary biographies, read this book. It's 18 mini biographies of the missionaries that we support or have supported in times past. And they're very in- inspiring. One of the couples mentioned in this book is a George and Minnie Lacey. George and Minnie were missionaries in southern Mexico. They arrived there in 1903. They began with a bang. I mean a tremendous ministry. They were there 18 months. After 18 months on Christmas day they baptized eight people. And everything was going wonderfully well, and then three days after Christmas, their little girl, Octavia, she was 14 months of age, got terribly ill, and she died within a few days. They had five children. Their only boy, Watson, got sick. He was, he was three years of age. got sick with the same symptoms, and he too died. So, George put Minnie, his wife, and their three surviving children on a train back to the United States. And then he followed them a few days later. By the time he met up with his wife, all three remaining children were dead. Scarlet fever. You understand, COVID is not the first plague we've ever suffered. In fact, there have been far worse. And scarlet fever was a double plague because it killed those just at the beginning of life. They called it a double death. Plagues that kill little children are a double death because they take away a lifetime. And that's the way scarlet fever was. Well, so Minnie took his wife or or took her husband, George, to show him the graves as they died. They would bury them along the train route. And somewhere on that journey, George said to Minnie, we must quit and go home. And many said, no. We have given our children from Mexico. We will go back and give our lives. And that's what they did. Many lived almost 30 more years and then she died. George lived very, very. George lived into his 80s. George retired there. Never did come back to the states. George and Minnie did a tremendous work. They started a seminary in southern Mexico. Uh, and just a, a several months ago, our pastor's uh, daughter, our pastor's Mark Ford, by the way, we live in Ridgefield, Washington. Mark is st- he's a church planner. He's starting a church there. And uh, Mark's daughter Tori is one of our missionaries that you support. She's a career missionary, single gal in southern Mexico. And I asked Tori. I said, Tori, have you ever heard of George Lacey, George and Minnie Lacey. She didn't know the story about George and Minnie, but she said, well, she said, yes, uh, there is a seminary in southern Mexico called the Lacey Seminary. She said, all the pastors in southern Mexico are educated at the Lacey Seminary over a hundred years later. Isn't that amazing? What God can do, not just through people like them, but through people like us. Jesus said, Jesus said, I have come to give you peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Be brave. Have courage in the midst of this tribulation because I, Jesus, have overcome all of the troubles of the world. You know, five times in the Gospels, Jesus said, take heart. Have courage, be brave. The first time was when four friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. You may remember the story because they couldn't get their friend to Jesus, the house was packed, so they went up on the roof and tore a hole in the roof, unroofed the roof, the text says, and lowered their friend to the feet of Jesus. And if you remember the story, you might remember that Jesus began by saying, your sins are forgiven. And then he said so that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins I say to you rise take up your mat and walk and the man did The second time and Je- Jesus said to him be brave <laughs> take heart have courage the second time was when a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years came to Jesus, and she touched the hem of his garment. Her faith was so great. She'd been hearing about what Jesus was doing. She thought, if I can just touch him, I don't need his attention. I don't need to draw him away from what he... If I can just touch him, and that's what she did. And Jesus felt the power go out from him, and sure enough, he was he- she was healed. And Jesus turned and looked and said, who touched me? And very sheepishly, she said, I did. And Jesus said, take heart, have courage, be brave, your faith has healed you. The third time was when the disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and they saw what they thought was a ghost walking toward them on the water and then they recognized, no, it is Jesus, it it was He. And so Peter stepped out of the boat and you remember he began to walk and then he began to sink and Jesus said, take heart. Be brave, have courage. It is I. The fourth time is our text. The fifth time was actually when the resurrected, ascended Jesus, back in heaven now, came to Paul, who is in prison in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 23. And Jesus came to Paul while in prison and said to Paul, Paul, be brave, take heart, have courage. I am with you. It's interesting. In every Instance, all five of those, the one thing Jesus gave so that they could be brave and have courage in the midst of trial was himself. If you notice that in the Gospels, Jesus always, it was giving of himself. He didn't give them instructions or rules. Now, Jesus had a lot of teaching. But he didn't say, if you do this, this, and that, you can have a good life. If you do this, this, and that, you can have an overcoming life. No, what he said always and did always give of himself. You understand that the only thing the church has to give is Jesus. Now, we have friendships, we have ministry, we care about people, we sing together and laugh together and cry together, and there's a lot of wonderful things that the church does together. However, in the end, it's all only possible because of Jesus. Your pastor's a great preacher, by the way, but you don't show up because you like to hear great preaching. You show up because he is talking and telling and teaching about Jesus. Jesus is the only reason for anything we do. And I want to give you some of the context for this verse, because this verse, remarkable as it is, is the very last statement of Jesus in the very last sermon of Jesus before he died on the cross. Eight to twelve hours after he said those words, he died on the cross. Those words come in the final sermon of Jesus before he was arrested. And taken to the cross. If you know the Gospel of John, I love the Gospel of John. In chapter 13 through chapter 18, Jesus is in the upper room, washing the disciples' feet in chapter 13. You remember that? And then they had the Last Supper and the Lord's Supper. And then Jesus began what we call the farewell discourse. And in the farewell discourse, he started by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust God, trust also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That's the way he started the sermon. And then he took them through all of these wonderful things about joy and peace and the Holy Spirit and the fatherhood of God, leading right up to his final statement, that is, in me you may have peace. Look around, look around, trouble everywhere, but in me you may have peace. And then in John chapter 17 Jesus prayed. By then he was at the Garden of Gethsemane and it's the greatest prayer in all the world. They'd left the upper room, some of his instruction was probably in front of the temple, some of that sermon. They're in Gethsemane and the whole chapter in 17 is a prayer. And then in chapter 18 Jesus is arrested. But when Jesus started in that final verse by saying, I have, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. What are these things? These things must be everything he said in that final sermon. But probably everything he'd been saying for the three years that Peter, James, and John, and the Salome, and Mary had been following him. The the Sermon on the mount, the the Prodigal Son, uh, the Good Samaritan, all all that he had been building into their hearts and minds, all of that teaching, all of that instruction was meant to bring them to the point where they understood that joy and peace and a God who is a father who hears your prayer is found only in Christ who is the overcomer of all the world's troubles. Now, I want to take you back to some of the immediate context in John chapter 16. In verse 16 of John 16, I'm, we're going to read verses 16 through verse 28. But notice what it says in verse 16. Jesus is speaking, and he said, In a little while you will see me no longer. He's talking about the cross. In just several hours he would die on the cross. And again, in a little while, you will see me. The resurrection. The resurrection. So, some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So, they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while? and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow, because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly I, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full." And listen to this final sentence. It's an amazing statement. Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. You understand that only Jesus could say that? Only Jesus could say, I came from the Father. You and I can't say that because you and I had a beginning. We were created at conception and then birthed. We had a beginning. We were created. Jesus was not created. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was with the Father at the creation of the world. Jesus is eternal as the Father is eternal. And so only Jesus could say, I came from the Father. The Bible does not teach in that we had a pre existent life like our Buddhist and Hindu friends believe. You might know our Buddhist and Hindu friends believe that we, we were Cleopatra or Napoleon or somebody, you know, in a previous life. And then we were reincarnated into this life. And what they say is, is that this life is what you deserve based on your past life. Are you familiar with the term karma? Don't use the word karma. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people use it. They don't know what it means. But what it means is not that you uh, will reap the consequence for your sin in this life or the consequence of your good deeds. Karma means you get what you deserve based on your past life. And so what karma teaches is you were born in the United States or you now live in the United States because you must have been a good person and you didn't have to live in Afghanistan. (laughs) Karma means... If you, if, you, if, if you die at age 14 like my brother did, you must have been a horrible person in a past life. And that's why your life on this earth, in this life, was short. If you get cancer, if you're born slow or born weak, Karma says you get what you deserve. Do you understand? That's why in India and parts of the world where Hinduism and Buddhism reign, there's not the impulse to help people because they think if you need help, it's because you deserve the suffering you have. That's karma. Jesus alone came from the Father, was birthed through the Virgin, conceived and birthed, and lived on this earth as a man, completely sinless, completely perfect and righteous and in relationship with his father. And then Jesus said, I will shortly go back to my father. Now imagine that. Jesus as a man walking on this earth says, I will soon leave this earth and go back into the presence of my father by implication because I am as righteous as my father. My holiness, 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 holy, 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 we say, is as perfect and identical as my father's holiness and righteousness are. And therefore, I can leave here and go back there right into the throne room of my father and no door can keep me from my father's presence. No angel can bar my entrance. No devil can stand in my way. I will leave here and I will go there because my righteousness is equal to that of my father. Now, do you see in that a new definition of righteousness? You know, all of the religions of the world teach That if you're good enough, if you follow the rules enough, whatever the rules are, then you may earn or achieve salvation. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have to have a perfect righteousness. As perfect as Jesus, as perfect as the Father's, in order to be in the presence of the Father. And we know, I hope, and you know, that you don't have that kind of righteousness. And Billy Graham didn't. And Mother Teresa didn't. And nobody does. But Jesus alone But the wonderful thing is, when Jesus went back to his father, he went back different than he was when he came. Before Jesus was birthed on this earth, like the father, he was spirit. He wasn't a physical human being. He became a human being. He was the eternal God, and he still is 100% God. But he also became man. He was God and is God and man. And when he went back to his father, he went back as man and God. And he went back, different than when he came, he went back with scars. So that he could make the argument to the father and demonstrate to the father, Father, I love them. They love me. And I gave myself for them. I shed my blood not only to provide forgiveness of sin, I shed my blood so that you could be cleansed. You understand that? When the Father looks at us, if you know Jesus, He doesn't see sin in us. He sees righteousness, perfect and holy and true, as righteous as Jesus Himself. Because Jesus' blood cleanses us. We are no longer dirty with sin. And when we stand before God, we will be, stand before Him in a perfection earned by Jesus, not by us. That's the Gospel. Now. When you go back to that first verse that I read a moment ago, verse 16, that cryptic verse that the disciples didn't know what Jesus meant, he said, in a little while you will see me no more. He's speaking about the cross. He's speaking about his death. And you understand the cross was the worst day in the world for those disciples. Peter, James, and John, and Thaddeus, and Bartholomew, and, and Mary Magdalene, and Martha, and all those women. They, th- this was like the end of everything they thought. Jesus' death was. In a spiritual and psychological sense, nothing worse could ever happen because they had invested all of their hope in Jesus thinking that he was going to set up a kingdom on this earth. And it didn't happen as they thought it would. And so uh, their hope died. You understand, there is something worse than death. And that's the death of hope. We're all going to die. But some die without hope. Whether they live long or short on this earth, to die without hope in Jesus is like the worst thing. And that's where Peter, James, and John were. And then Jesus said, in a little while, you will see me. That's the resurrection. They didn't understand it then, but they came to understand that Jesus would defeat death through the cross. Defeat sin, bury sin under his own blood. So that when Jesus was raised from the dead, everything changed for them. Their hope was resurrected even as Jesus' physical body was raised from the dead. Now they understood the purpose, or they were beginning to understand the purpose of why Jesus came and what Jesus would establish. And then when 40 days later the Holy Spirit came and filled Peter, and Peter stood before all of the men of Israel and said, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. You nailed him to the cross, but God, by His power, God raised him from the dead. His body would not see decay. Now that was the same Peter who denied knowing Jesus three times before the cross. It was the same Peter who was defeated. Peter, and then the resurrection of Christ, and then the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then the founding of the church for two thousand years now. It's remarkable. And Jesus said, when you see me, your lament, your sorrow, will turn to joy. You are mourning while the world is rejoicing, but the day will soon come when your lament will become joy. It's interesting because he didn't say your sorrow will be replaced by joy. He said your sorrow will turn to joy. Literally, the very thing that produced sorrow is the very thing that will produce joy. It's a morphine, it's a transformation of this experience of the cross, which you thought was the end, but really it was the beginning of life for you and anyone who trusts me. And so your sorrow will turn to joy. And then he illustrates it in the perfect way, especially for you mothers. He said it's like a mom giving birth. When you're giving birth to a child, there's anguish, there's pain, there is lamenting. And then the child is born into the world, and the very thing that brought pain is the very thing that brings joy, because you have birthed a child into the world. And that's what the cross did. The cross took pain and sadness and made of it joy. And he said, no one will take away your joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is a good thing. We want to be happy. The pursuit of happiness its a right for Americans, right? To pursue it, not to have it necessarily, but to pursue it. The problem with happiness is it's tied to circumstances. The old English word is hap, hap, which means by chance or by circumstance. The word happy comes from that. It's, if your circumstance, if your belly is full, you're happy. If, you, if your job is going well, if your family is doing good, if your kids are doing great, You're happy. It's all about circumstances. If the circumstances turn against you, there is sadness and lament. And that's a natural and a normal thing. Joy is something more than that and far, far better than that. Joy is this settled knowledge and and feeling in your mind and your heart that it's all all right because of Christ. No matter what's going on around, no matter what my eyes see, in the end, it's all right. Because God is in control. In fact, joy is the ability that a believer has that an unbeliever doesn't have, which is to live by faith and not by sight. The greatest temptation we face, you think about all the temptations of lust and greed and all of those things, really the greatest temptation you and I face every day, am I going to live by faith or am I going to let my eyes define life and the world? Or am I going to believe something greater and bigger and better? That's faith. And that brings joy. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and brilliant man, was an atheist. And then when he came to faith in Christ, the thing he said most surprised him was joy. He had never experienced joy. He didn't know what joy was. He probably thought he knew. But when he came to know Christ, he came to understand joy. And of the many books that he wrote, the Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity and all those books... One of the books he wrote was titled, Surprised by Joy. That was the big surprise for him. If you don't yet know Christ, you too are awaiting the great surprise of life, this sense of joy that it's all ultimately all right. Joy. And Jesus said, and that's why Jesus, by the way, that's that's why we are overcomers. That's why we can join Jesus in overcoming the troubles of the world because Jesus enables us to live life with joy in the midst of everything. By the way, even if you're born in Afghanistan, my parents served in Afghanistan. for They were IMB missionaries. They lived in Pakistan. They were in and out of Afghanistan a lot. My dad was the first missionary in after the Taliban left and he was the first after the Russians left and there were Afghan people who came to faith in Jesus. It was dangerous. They couldn't come out and say, look at me. But they did experience a joy. Our our youngest son is named Luke because of an Afghan believer I met in Pakistan whose name was Luke. They called him Luke. At that time, his wife didn't even know he was a Christian because if she knew, his in-laws would know and he'd be dead. Now, fast forward 25 years, they're all Christians, at least his wife and he. But even there, even in his life, Luke, I remember meeting him, reading the Bible with him and my dad. And there was, there was a sadness because his wife, he couldn't share his joy with his wife. But there was also a settledness in his life because he knew Jesus. And then Jesus says, you now have a father that hears your prayer. God is not just your creator, he is your father. And Jesus said, because you love me and believe in me, he will hear your prayer, and he, in fact, will be your father. You understand, God is not the father of all humanity. God is the creator of all humanity. Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. That's why racism is a horrible evil. Because it doesn't matter if you're an Afghan or an African or a South American or an Anglo-Scandinavian or whatever you are, you are equal, in the, you have a soul and a spirit, you're created in the image and likeness of God. And one of the most horrible things a human being could ever do is mistreat a person because of their skin color or ethnicity or anything such as that. Racism's terrible. However, there are only two classes of people in the world. There are those who know Jesus and those who don't. And you can live in Pakistan and know Jesus and be free and understand joy. And you can live in the United States and not know Jesus and yet not understand or experience joy and true spiritual freedom but Jesus said if you know me you have a father to whom you can pray and the last thing I want to focus on is that statement that Jesus makes repeatedly about finding and having peace in him I have told you these things all of these things so that in me you may have peace the very first thing Jesus said when he appeared in the upper room after the resurrection was peace. (laughs) He pronounced peace upon them. My peace I give to you. The theme of peace, it's not something we talk about a great deal, it seems, but it's one of the wonderful, amazing gifts of God to us. That in the midst of whatever the tribulation or the trial, the job loss, the health disaster, whatever it might be in life, peace. It's miraculous. You understand? No other person, no other thing can give you peace. One of the great awards a person can receive in this world is the Nobel Peace Prize. But the Nobel Peace Prize is given to those who stop people from killing each other, not who make people love each other. You can't do that. Several years ago, I was listening to an Irish poet, and he was talking about the Troubles in Northern Ireland. The Troubles, some of you remember, there was a lot of killing in Northern Ireland between the Protestants and the Catholics, the pro-British who were Protestant, the pro-Catholic who were Irish. And it goes all the way back a century, but especially in the 60s and 70s. And then in the mid-90s, they achieved a peace agreement. And the poet was talking about that. He said, now, he said we call it peace. But, but, but he said, it doesn't mean we love each other. He said, we hate each other. We just don't kill each other. And so we call it peace. And in fact, two men won the Nobel Peace Prize for creating what the poet called a peaceful bigotry. Hatred without killing. And my thought was, that's the best the world can do. I'll guarantee you, you get the Palestinians and the uh, Jews to not fight, and you win the Nobel Peace Prize. You, you sell the problem in, Northern, in North Korea or, or Iran or wherever it is in the world, there's stuff going on, and, and you, the Ukrainians and the Russians, and you'll get the Nobel Peace Prize. It doesn't mean they're going to love each other. But if you could just stop them from killing each other, that's the best the world can do. Only Jesus can provide true peace. Only Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Only Jesus said, love your enemy. Others have since Jesus said, love your neighbor. I heard someone quoting that this week on TV. But almost nobody quotes, love your enemy. Because they know that's not possible. Except you know it is possible. (laughs) Because you live with the person who used to be your enemy. (laughs) Your spouse. (laughs) Or there are people in the church. You were in a business competitive thing perhaps. And maybe you didn't like each other. And maybe someone mistreated the other. But maybe in Jesus you found true peace and friendship. Peace. It's amazing. On the one hand, this is a loathsome and wicked world. On the other hand, this is the world to whom God sent his son. On the one hand, this is the world that killed Jesus. On the other hand, Jesus gave his life to pay the price for the sin of the world. On the one hand, this is a world that persecutes followers of Jesus to this very day. All over the world, tremendous persecution. Even here in our own country. Not like in China or other places, but persecution. Some of it's in families. Persecuting a family member because they came to faith and you didn't and you don't like the fact they did and it's changed your family and you don't like it and it's created all kinds of problems. This is the world that persecutes followers of Jesus, and yet Jesus said they persecuted me. Why should you expect different? On the one hand, this is a world that spells trouble. On the other hand, Jesus overcame the troubles of the world. If you don't yet know Jesus, you need to know Jesus so that you, too, can experience the surprise of joy, so that you too can experience peace and actually live by faith and not by sight. When my brother died at age 14, he was a, uh, he was a great athlete, uh, the best in his age group, and actually a several year span. He, he had played a baseball game, I was telling Mike earlier in the earlier service, that that weekend, just right before he died, he had a batting average of something like 8,50 in this state tournament he was a fantastic football they had already chosen him to be the quarterback of the football team best basketball player best of everything we were running getting in shape for football when he dropped over dead don't know why he was strong kid his heart stopped that happens and i remember thinking at some point if you don't know jesus man this world is a very uncertain place and life ends poorly for those who don't know Jesus. Even if you live to a hundred, to die and say goodbye to ever to those you love, that's a pretty poor way to die. And it became important to me then to take a stand for Christ. I'd, I'd been saved, but I'd never been baptized. You're going to baptize, by the way, in a few weeks. You've got eight already. Lined up for baptism. How cool is that? Maybe one of you has not yet been baptized, or two or three of you, and you think, I want to take a stand for Jesus. It happened for me after the death of my brother, and I got baptized, my sister got baptized. We wanted to let our friends and schoolmates and everybody know we are with Jesus and tried to become a witness for Christ at that point. And maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to confess with your mouth, the Bible says, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In a few days, you will see me. God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved, the Bible says. So I want to pray for you and pray for your church, and boy, it's been a great weekend, and so thankful to be a friend of your pastor, and a friend of your staff, and just to be here with you. You have a member of your church who's a board member of our convention, Mario Gumbaro, who's a fantastic person, chaplain in Disaster Relief, by the way, which is another one of our big ministries. So just thank you for hosting us this weekend. My wife, Paula's is here. I don't know if I pointed her out earlier, but uh, we've enjoyed being with you. But I want to pray for you. Don't leave this place today without talking to Stephen or Pastor Mike or... Uh, Pastor Stephen back there, whomever you can trust to tell you about Jesus, because they will, and they'll help you know how to invite him into your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Father, that everything we really want, peace and joy, everything we really need, the love of the Father, we find in Jesus. Lord, anyone here who has not yet found these things in Christ, may they do so today. Father, I pray you continue to protect and bless this dear church, a great church who serves in so many ways in this community and around the world. Father, bless Valley and protect this church and empower them to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: And hear these words from Jesus. He says that in him we can have peace. Even though in this world there there it's full of trouble, he has overcome the world. I don't know what kind of trouble you're facing today. I don't know what you walked in these doors carrying as a burden, but my hope, my prayer for you, as you listen to these words of Christ, that you would look to Christ. And you would find that peace that is promised, that peace that is guaranteed in Him. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and let's conclude our service in in the way we do every week. We're going to conclude with with one more song and with receiving an offering. And the way we do that, most of you are giving online. Thank you for that. If you would like to give in person, or if you want to turn in one of those connection cards, the easiest way to do that is just up in the front. We have a few buckets. You can bring that up during the last song or after service. You can turn in any card or any offering you have. And thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Just continuing to support the ministry and the mission of Valley. And hopefully you saw how that actually supports even beyond Valley as we partner with the Northwest Baptist Convention. in in lots of different ways. But let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, we we just praise you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And and even though there is is real trouble in this world, even though there are real difficulties and real pain, for those in Christ, for those who have trusted in his death and resurrection, every one of us know that, that we have a hope and a peace even bigger than any difficulty God, I pray you would encourage our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you would embolden us so that we would do just exactly what Jesus has said in these words. We would be full of courage. We would be brave and we would walk in that. And we pray that as we do this, that you are pleased and that you are honored and that you are glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.